0: Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast plus don't forget you can now play this podcast on any amazon enabled device just ask alexa play the dynamic leaders podcast getting dynamic leaders with
1: Colin interneglia from apple podcasts
0: before this episode begins please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review doing this really does help us grow the show and you can get featured for your review on a future episode Our presenting affiliate sponsor for this podcast episode is Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is an industry leader in CBD hemp products that can help you with faster workout recoveries or to obtain better sleep. You can browse their entire product line at charlottesweb.com and use the code dynamic at checkout to receive 15% off of all purchases. All right, and on to my featured conversation today with Angela Kochuba. Angela is the Principal and Managing Director of the Federal Training Academy, and she has spent 20 years in the field of leadership and has a strong focus in emotional intelligence. In our conversation, we cover why emotional intelligent leadership is the key to human-based leadership and how that results in high productivity. We also talk about why trust is a foundation of leadership. And then Angela breaks down how to use her four domains of leadership, which includes self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management to be the best leader possible. This is a juicy, jam-packed conversation with Angela, so let's dive right into it and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Angela Kochupa. Welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Angela Kachuba. Angela, thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Absolutely, Colin. It's my pleasure to be here with you and your listeners.
0: (laughs) I'm so happy to have you. And we've talked offline a little bit and we've emailed back and forth. And I know that we have so many interesting topics to get to throughout the course of our conversation today. So we will dive into that here in just a minute. But before we do that, I do like to give my guests an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about themselves. So please tell us, who are you?
1: Oh, sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Angela Kachuba, and I do pronounce it like a sneeze. Kachoo, Angela <laughs> Kachuba. And so it's spelled A-N-G-E-L-A. Last name is K-O-C-H-U-B-A. And if you want details regarding my history, and my work background, please go ahead and visit my LinkedIn site. But in general, my background is I was raised in a small family business where we did focus on training and speaking public speaking experiences. And I started that company, was formed when I was a teenager. So I started working in that company at the age of 14 and through hard work, education, uh, my education is at the University of Virginia. So I went to the undergraduate business school. So it's the McIntyre School of Commerce, one of the top ranked programs. I did choose to focus on, or concentrations is what they're called on management marketing at that time. Then I went over to become a change management consultant, which is purposeful because not only is training within that particular small division at that time of Anderson Consulting, which now is known as Accenture, and we went through that name change while I was there. But essentially it also went through major enterprise transformations. So I had the opportunity to work with industry clients within that role. And then I went on to earn my MBA at the University of Virginia again. It's the Jarden Graduate School of Business Administration one of the top ranked schools but in particular why I chose that particular school is because of the leadership focus and I do have a leadership and management focus so with that hard work the education that change management consulting experience i went ahead and in, back into our family business and became a grew the business and became the coo of the multimillion dollar company that it uh, became and then for work-life balance reasons, I became an independent entrepreneur, and I focus on leadership development programs. I work with leaders at all levels, and most of my clients are within the federal government. Every single department of the United States federal government has been my client throughout the 20-plus years, and I am the managing director of Federal Training Academy.
0: So very cool and such a diverse and wide-ranging different amount of experiences that you've had. (laughs) Weirdly enough, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind is the fact that you started working when you were 14 years old. And I don't think many people start working quite that early. I know it's just about two years off from when most teenagers start to look for that part-time job to spruce up their resume, get some real world experience, but you went in at 14 to the family business, no less. And I'm just curious, was that something you had always desired to do? Like, did you just want to be in that business so badly that you started when you were so young?
1: Well, our company was founded actually officially when I was 15 years old. Okay. But we did a lot of prep work and we had family discussions. And there are four of us in my particular family. And the discussions were my father had retired from the federal government. He was in the Air Force and then went to the civilian side. And it was, okay, do we want to do this? And he thought of maybe going into the political realm for a bit. And then he thought, well, do we want a family business? And if so, we, he would need commitment from all of us. And as it turned out, three out of the four of us voted for family business. <laughs> and three out of the four of us worked diligently in that business. So imagine a 14-year-old in an unfinished basement with the very first, no joke, the very first Mac <laughs> computer, right? <That's laughs> computer that existed in an an unfinished basement, typing databases, stuffing envelopes, I mean, it it wasn't glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I went into high school, I I was the individual when I arrived home from high school, I immediately, my mother, I'm a half Korean, my mother uh, has excellent English, but she does still have a bit of an accent, especially at that time. And so I was the person answering the phones. So I got to experience a wide range of duties when you have your own small business. In fact, the logo that we had at that time, but developed the logo. I mean, so you got to experience it all, which in your particular seven pillars of dynamic leadership, the idea of grit, you <laughs> definitely had that. Sure. <laughs> but it was a choice. I did. I, I wanted to support my father in particular, and it was a choice that I had, which I thought was nice. And eventually it grew into a, a large organization.
0: Now, I love how you told us about it being your choice and that your parents afforded you that opportunity if you wanted to put that hard work in, that you had the chance to work for the family company and dip your hand into all those different experiences that you just outlined for us. And I had taken note that you had said hard work a couple of times when you were introducing yourself and you just alluded to one of my pillars of seven pillars of dynamic leadership being grit. I always struggle, I think, a little bit to connect the dots when it comes to how to truly teach how to be a gritty or hardworking person. I think like fundamentally, I have a good way to understand it personally. But when there's somebody who comes to me and they say, hey, how can I become more gritty? It's not as simple as just saying, Well, work harder. (laughs) But but that work ethic and that ability to work hard, whether you're an entrepreneur like you and I are, or you work for an employer, or you are the head of a household, whatever it is, I think that sometimes in our society hard work gets poo-pooed on and people are like, Oh, you you need to be more efficient, like you need to be at the beach, you need to be enjoying life, but the things that afford you the opportunity to do those fun things don't come without hard work. At least that's how I see it. So I'd love for you to be able to extend, expand, excuse me, a little bit on the hard work portion of people and how we develop that muscle a little bit more.
1: Okay. So first of all, I would recommend to any of your listeners to read Daniel Pink's book drive. I think that talks about the aspect of grit and it's a wonderful book. As far as personally, I think for me, it's been, and this is a word that's overused, I think. So I want to describe it a little bit more is that people have been saying, okay, well, will find your passion in life. And I think if it's it's valid though, because if you find something that you are passionate about, meaning you have a common goal, you're fully bought into that goal, then what I think comes out of that passion is initiative. And then you want to work hard. You're the individual that's proactive. You're saying, okay, here's our status quo, whether it be in an organization, whether it be in your personal life, here's our status quo. But you know what? I want to make it even better. What can I do to make it better? And so I think that's a big piece of it. It's the idea of spending even some of the time reflecting, what can I do to improve the current situation? And I think that drive or grit comes from that. And it often is just, do you have a goal? Are you passionate about it? And are you focused? And what I mean by that is often I find people are very busy and they do work hard. Many people say, well, Angela, I work hard. Absolutely agree with them. And I'm sure many of your listeners are diligent at work. The question is, is it towards a common goal or something that will have a purpose behind it that you can accomplish, feel good about accomplishing and then build off of? I think that those are some of the key pieces.
0: Sure. I love that. And it makes a lot of sense too, because it reminds me of like Angela Duckworth wrote the book Grit. And that's where my curiosity first extended when it came to that specific topic. And she really did a good job explaining the fact that grit and perseverance and hard work don't really matter if it's not towards a purpose. (laughs) Like you said, it's it's kind of like you can work as hard as you want, but if you're not doing the right work, for example, or you're not working towards anything, then you're just in this endless cycle of mediocrity. If you put a purpose towards it or you put a goal towards it and you're working towards something, then to your point and to Angela's too, that's at least a a portion of how you can maybe employ a little bit more grit and work ethic into into your own life. At least that's what I see from it.
1: Absolutely. We all are limited by time. Time is one of our most valuable resources and and as I age I realize that as well. So I'll be 50 years old this year. And what's been pressing on me in the last few years is the limited time that I have and even trying to and I mentioned that work life balance. So because we all have this limited time, choose to purposefully or deliberately focus on what it is that you want to achieve. And if you can work towards that goal, I think that would be helpful. Otherwise, like you said, it's kind of a well-rounded mediocrity. You are still working very hard, but unfortunately, the achievements or the accomplishments might not be shown behind it.
0: Absolutely. Now, when you decided that you wanted to go and venture off on your own and do the work that you're doing today, I know that decision probably wasn't made lightly, but There's a lot of folks that listen to this podcast and in general, I think the entrepreneurial spirit is a little bit higher in today's world than it might've been in the past. And maybe they just started their own company or they have aspirations to do something in the future. But what would you tell somebody, whether they're young, old, indifferent, whatever it may be, what if they want to get into this lifestyle? What are some tips or some things they need to be aware of before they fully dive in?
1: Well, one of the first things I would do is make sure I have a solid business plan. And so if you don't even know the components of a business plan, for example, let's say that you found a need in your community, you have a fantastic idea, you're not sure how to implement it, a business plan will help you do that. One of the sites I recommend is the small business site throughout the federal government. Go to that site and it gives you kind of these steps and it helps you along the way as well as gives you a kind of a, a network of supporters in order to have more entrepreneurs because we do know that entrepreneurship is growing within the United States and globally as well. And so if you are interested in being an entrepreneur, you have that excellent idea. My first step would be go visit that site and see what your options are. There are also small business loans that are available. Maybe you'll need that to get off and running.
0: Yeah, and that's a really good point that, I mean, I think sometimes we want to try to do it all on our own and not look out for some of the resources that are already available to us. So I'm definitely going to link to that website that you mentioned. And I think that's a really great starting point for people to check out because there are so many resources out there to help you and people like yourself or books or podcasts, whatever it is that can just help you be more prepared for that decision versus thinking that you have to learn it all on your own and figure it out as you go.
1: Absolutely. So sba.gov, that's the website that I was talking about, smallbusinessadministration.gov, or it's just sba.gov.
0: Beautiful. All right. So leadership is at the core of a lot of the work that you do. And I guess I just want to start with why that topic, like what about it? Interest you, and why is it something that you're so passionate about that you've done now for over 20 years?
1: Well, in the growing up in the training business, uh, we covered a multitude of topics, and what I found is I was drawn more to the leadership development particular topics, and even intentionally went to go get a graduate degree with that leaning. And as far as Myself, the reason why I think it's been wonderful is because I've had the opportunity to work with so many different clients at all levels of leadership. And one of the most difficult levels really changes within individuals within their careers are just going from an employee to now, okay, I have a supervisory role. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most difficult jumps that people make. So being able to help individuals make that transition has inspired me personally. And in fact, when we moved to North Carolina, so I was born and raised in the Washington DC area. I lived there for more than 40 years. We moved to the North Carolina and to North Carolina into the Raleigh. It's called the Triangle Research Triangle Park area, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area of North Carolina for my husband's position. So he works with Cisco Systems and for an Eastern headquarters of Cisco Systems is located where we are currently. And I really didn't want to move. Is the reality. <laughs> I, I thought I had set up kind of my perfect life, right? In the Washington, DC area. And I, I one of my dearest friends lived next door to me. We were raising our children together. I was like, we well, can't do this. I me my clients are here, my you know, my family's here. So eventually we did make the decision to move. And when we moved, what I thought was wonderful is the opportunity for me to really sit and think, where do I wanna focus? Thinking about the time, right? Where do I want to focus my energy? And at the time, my husband actually said, you know what, Angela, you can just retire if you want to. You know, we still had three young kids. We uh, now they're 23, 17 and 14 years old. But we had two in particular that were young and one still a teenager. We moved. He said, why don't you just retire, become a stay at home mom? And so I thought, "Okay, that sounds fabulous. And I did that for, (laughs) for, for a little bit. I went and sought some board positions and volunteer organizations, charity organizations or nonprofit organizations. And I realized though that I missed what I love. And so when I talk about passion, I love what I do. And I wanted to come back to work. It became a little bit more difficult on my family at that time because it meant I would likely have to travel. And so then that became a conversation even within our own family, whether or not I would be able to travel doing what I love to do, which is training and speaking opportunities within the leadership and management realm. So we were able to work that out as a family, but it, it was wonderful that I had that time to kind of step back from it and really make sure that this was the focus that I wanted. And then for me, it was just, it, it's been exciting. I love what I do and I hope to inspire others with the gift that I've been given.
0: That's so cool. And I love the, the human aspects of the stories that get told on this podcast. And yours is no different in the sense that people look at what you do now and they have a certain judgment of who you are, for lack of a better word. Whether that's right or wrong, that is just what it is. But you've just outlined some of the different sacrifices you had to make and some of the different changes that you went through in order to get to this point and to find something that was truly fulfilling for you. It wasn't just one day, hey, I want to teach leadership, I'm going to travel the world, let's go. (laughs) You know, something like that. (laughs) So
1: Exactly, Colin. That's kind of my retirement plan. (laughs) So when I'm the empty nester, that's actually what I want to do. And I have had many opportunities to travel globally, and I've actually had to turn them down. Or I've chosen to turn them down because of the decisions that we've made as a family. And recently, just even this year, opportunity travel to Africa next month. Unfortunately, had to say no. So it, it definitely there's a, there's a balance there. And I know eventually we want to talk about some of the aspects of being a woman in this field as well. And so I'm sure that we'll head that way. Uh, for me, this is just my reality. And these are some of the choices that I've made. But I luckily have been able to still find that balance and been able to I, I think i'm in an ideal
2: place hey everyone christine here from sweat with Stads, one of this show's sponsors the dynamic leaders podcast is here to help you be a better leader and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically i'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone as a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes i've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com, that's sweatwithstods.com, to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today.
0: Let's focus that talk. Like you said, let's talk a little bit more specifically about women and females in this industry. And I know a lot of the talk that I have on this podcast and just in general surrounds women in athletics. And that's just where my primary realm of people are, but yours is a little bit more wide ranging and, and definitely a little bit different as far as what you talked about earlier. And, but I'm sure there's still some challenges and I'm sure there's some uniqueness to it all. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about specifically what being a woman in this industry has been like and some of the successes in some of the the good times. I don't want to necessarily focus on uh, maybe the, the challenges and be all negative about it, but I'd love to hear some of the good things that have come as a result.
1: Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I think I've been able to find through reflection, through deliberate decisions that we've made, I've been able to find my ideal balance. So for me, this is working and everyone out there would have to determine what works for them. As far as some of the challenges, I think, and when I talk about the field that I'm in, it's the leadership field. So, some of the opportunities that we have to empower women and women in leadership has become a really hot topic in the last few years. And so, I think one of the keys would be to remove your own biases, male and females mm-hmm. alike, to remove our own cognitive biases that we may have, be open to those. And also, from a male perspective, if it's possible, to have some male champions within the organizations that you work with. And just like on your teams, Right. On your sports teams. If I think about the idea of Tony Bennett, uh, who is the UVA, because I'm a huge UVA fan, obviously. Right. (laughs) Huge UVA fan. Uh, My husband and I supported each other uh, through our graduate school programs. Our parents did uh, give us the gift of tuition. But beyond that, we were pretty much on our own. Uh, So we spent many, many years uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia. So Tony Bennett, though, Coach Tony Bennett, the UVA men's basketball coach, he's five pillars of success. Talk about humility, passion, which we've talked about, unity, servanthood, and thankfulness. And so one of the benefits, I think, that would be huge would be if some of the men in the workplace or your teammates, fellow teammates, would take this perspective of especially, especially the idea of servanthood and how can you help your team members? How can you help others? So first of you, removing your personal biases. And then on top of that, how can you become a champion for inclusion? And so inclusion is not just about race. It can be about gender differences as well. And just even identifying what privileges, if any, do you have based on your gender. And then Brene Brown, in particular, talks about this regarding race, the idea of what privileges do you have, noting what they are removing your biases by doing what she would call perspective taking. And so what are your perspectives? What are some of your biases? Taking a history of those, understanding what those are, and then being open to understanding that you may have power based on the mere position that you have. And so how can you help others? And so for me, I do believe it's kind of moving from this idea of biases into the belief in and practice of inclusion is how I want to word it. And there are a lot of different organizations that are doing that. Uh, One of the examples, and I work with the World Bank Group, one of the examples that they have, and I just recently watched uh, an interview, and they were talking about having this kind of open transparency and holding individuals and organizations or teams accountable for inclusion. And there was one example that was given during this interview It talked about this whole panel of men. And they realized, wait a minute, we don't have a female perspective. So we should pull one in. So it took someone on that panel to say, you know, let's go get someone else's perspective. Let's see how we can be more inclusive. And they pulled in a female. And right away, the female thought of issues that the males just did not think of at all. For instance, childcare being a major component of working women. And so they it just they hadn't even mentioned it. <laughs> and she immediately instinctually said, Well, what about childcare? That's a major problem. And they thought, Oh yes, <laughs> why haven't we why haven't we thought of that? Right. And so for me, I think empowering women is about partnering with with men and women that don't you know, unfortunately, working women, there's this aspect of, you know, you're darned if you do, you darned if you don't. <clears throat> and essentially within the, the, the female. Perspective. And so I wish that we could just all kind of come together and support one another, regardless of what an individual's choices are.
0: Yeah, I want to echo that because I talk about a lot when it comes to building cultures within teams. And a lot of times when the disconnect happens, it's because there is a certain belief from a coaching staff and a different belief from the student athletes. I feel like the whether it's men and women or whether it's race or whatever we can talk about when it comes to diversity, it's because one group is saying one thing and one group is saying another thing. And if we all acted a little bit more inclusively and instead of exclusively, and we work together to your point, then I think all of this advancement for Empowering women and unlocking opportunities for influence and for leadership. All of that would come a little bit easier, but it's, it's getting, it's getting males. It's getting my gender on board with that to say, Hey, females are not here to like quote unquote steal jobs and to make it so that you're going to be poor and out of work for the rest of your life. We're really just here to say that. Everyone should have the same opportunities to be in positions of influence and to have the opportunity to lead people, for example. But I, I often struggle with that too. And I go back and forth. I'm like, how, how do we get more people just to be okay with the fact that we can all work together? And it, it seems easy, but it's obviously been a little bit more difficult than we want it to be.
1: And, well, absolutely. And so. The perspective of females aren't out to get males. I think is important. You know, I'm the mother of two males and one female, so I have both genders, <laughs> right? Their best interest in mind, and I do think coming together is the way to do that. The idea of mm-hmm. inclusivity, as far as uh, empathy as well, just being non-judgmental, sure, being able to, to to step into someone else's shoes and be able to kind of be open to taking someone else's perspective. Although I would say this you will never be able to fully understand someone else's life and perspective because they have an entire history of worth of experience and your life full of experiences right. that put them into those specific shoes, but at least being willing to try to take on someone else's perspective rather than do the selective hearing, for instance, and pick out the pieces that you agree with and start making judgment calls right away. Or I call them critical evaluators. You hear a new <laughs> idea, right? And, and I would say, by the way, I highly value critical evaluators. We need them. It's just we don't necessarily need them the entire time, right? Sure. And I don't need negativity. Uh, so we need more of the positivity when we're trying to figure out ways to work well together versus the critical evaluators later when we have the 25 different brainstormed ideas. Then I say, critical evaluators, take it away. You know, <laughs> our devil's <laughs> advocates, we want you. This is where you get to shine. Help us figure out what these potholes are. That <laughs> so we are some barriers that we may may face so that we can overcome them or plan for those that may eventually occur within whatever particular solution we ultimately choose and working together.
0: Yes. But uh, the
1: idea of empathy also links back to that emotional intelligence, which is another one of your pillars mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah. And I was just going to say, I think the empathy portion and you highlighting that is really important because that's, that's really what it comes down to. If you can have the empathy to open up, To the idea that we can all work together, then things are going to go a lot smoother. And to your other point, the emotional intelligence and the trust. I know trust is one of the foundations of the leadership that you teach. And I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into both of those because emotional intelligence is one of my seven pillars of dynamic leadership. And Trust is one of your pillars, and I think they're both related in some ways, too. So do we want to start with trust and go down that alley and see where we go? Sure.
1: And I'm actually going to link the two, if you don't mind. Because emotional intelligence is, or at least according to Daniel Goleman, right, in that famous book, and he termed the phrase emotional intelligence back in the 1990s. There was plenty, by the way, some people say he's the father of emotional intelligence, and I would say, well, he termed the phrase, and he absolutely is one of the experts in the field, a guru in his own right. But there was plenty of, of studies and work done in that field before the 1990s. As far as empathy, that kind of is covering the, within these four domains of emotional intelligence, and so Daniel Goleman did break it into these four domains, and it's self awareness, self management, social awareness and relationship management. And so I believe emotional intelligence relates to personal lives as well as your work life, on your athletes, right, on their teams. It applies in every aspect of your life. So the first two domains, self-awareness and self-management, are internal. Social awareness and relationship management, the third and fourth domain, are external. And it is a bit of a stair-stepping here, meaning You can't really do a great job at relationship management if you don't have the solid self-awareness first. And you go through those kind of in order. And so that's where I do think this idea of trust is very, it's right in the first domain where it's, are you self-aware? Are you self-aware that, do you do any self-reflection? Do you ask yourself, am I credible? Do people that, do my teammates, do people that I work with? Do they think I'm credible? Am I trustworthy? How can I boost my trustworthiness if that does tend to be an issue? And so some of the books and authors that I highly recommend would be Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And often people, when they hear Stephen Covey, they think it's the father who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And most of the time people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that Covey. Well, it's <laughs> actually his son. It's his oldest son who wrote the book Speed of Trust. and. Really comes down to this idea of he talks about care, and as a leader, it's important to care, and as a team member, really, it's important to care for others because it unlocks this human connection. Be deliberate with your intentions, even with your time, as we talked about before, and then to strengthen your te- integrity. If that's how you strengthen your credibility as individuals. Just being authentic and admitting to yourself, yeah, maybe you got an integrity issue, right? So, for example, if I were right now to ask, you, and I'm not going to call go please don't answer. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> but it, all the listeners, right? If you were to rank yourself right now on a scale of zero to 10, zero being, uh-oh, I'm in trouble on integrity, right? And 10 being, I'm awesome at this, you know, but the most honest individual, for instance, how would you rank, rate yourself? And then if I were to ask your teammates, the people, that, you know, your colleagues, the ones that you work with most often to rate you, what those ratings the same and if there's not right there's that disconnection so for instance I'm I'm a consultant I'm an independent consultant so I could go in right now and let's say that I were to I'm not going to but let's say I were to go talk with the people that Colin you regularly work with and I were to give them an anonymous survey and say okay I want you to rate them on a scale of 0 to 10 and what are your thoughts so would it match up with what you think because often what I found is people think of course I'm an individual with integrity. <laughs> of course, right? Of course, I'm an ethical decision maker. Of course, I have the best interest of others in mind. And they might score themselves a 10. And then in reality, they find out, whoa, <laughs> the people around me don't necessarily agree. And so I think what happens is disconnect originally starts with trust because often the question I think is, it boils down to when you're in a new group or when you go back after listening this the question you should ask yourself, I believe, is do you trust the people that you work with? Do you go in with a high, I call it a high trust bar, where when you meet new individuals, do you just trust them until they prove otherwise? Or when you meet individuals, do you go in with a relatively low trust bar? Because you've been burned so many times in your past, That people in your future have to pay for the sins of those from the past. And then you have this low trust bar. And you expect people to earn your trust. And if you expect people to earn your trust, what do you think they're doing with you? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: They're saying, you know what? I'm going to want you to earn my trust. And then the trust building takes much more time. And it may never even happen. And so what leaders do, and so, by the way, when I talk about a leader, I think leadership is a mindset. You do not have to be in a position of authority. You don't have to be the coach or the captain of a team to be a leader. You just have to be the individual willing to put on the leadership mindset where you decide, you purposefully decide, I want to embody these leadership characteristics that I think are important. And I'm going to show up every day consistently with that leadership mindset. And then I think you become an informal leader naturally. And then ultimately, you have more upward mobility and you may end up with a position of authority within the leadership ranks. So I think when I talk about leaders, though, I am hoping everyone that's listening wants to be a leader and will take that on at whatever level or whatever position that they're in now. Then the question is, okay, so if I'm going to be a leader, do I trust other people until they prove me otherwise, right? Until they prove me wrong. And when they prove you wrong, what's your strikeout zone? Is it a three strikes and you're out or is it a one strike? Because I've met so many people, Colin, you'd be surprised. I met so many and supervisors in particular and say, nope, you mess up once and you're out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write you up for your mistake. And I think, well, that's interesting because that, that's not going to build trust. Right? <laughs> you're going to be an authoritative leader, commander, perhaps, but at the same time, you're you're more of a pressing and holding people down type of individual versus an empowering, encouraging, lifting others up. And one of the uh, phrases I'll, I'll never forget, a leader that shared with an entire group said when I was speaking, he said, Do you mind if I, I share my personal example, And his testimony was an individual that worked for him, came to him and said he just had enough. And I think this individual didn't even care if he was fired at this point. And he said, what do you gain? By keeping me down. That's what I want to know. Know what you gain by keeping me down. So, whether it be teammates on an athletic team or whether it be in the workplace, right? So, what do you gain by keeping me down? And this particular individual admitted, the supervisor admitted he did not have uh, a proper response. And he admitted he said, you know, curse the person out. <laughs> That's what he did. And so, you know, he really did not like this person kind of coming up and challenging him with this question. And he said, But what really made the difference for him is in the next two weeks, he didn't sleep well. He said that that question kept plaguing him, It was haunting him for two weeks. And he thought, I don't know. You know what? I don't gain anything by keeping the people that work for me or with me down." And so a lack of trust does that. A lack of trust keeps people down because they feel like you don't trust them and they're trying desperately to earn your trust. But maybe they feel like they can't. Where if they make a small mistake, then you'll lose all trust for them. And so they're not willing to put themselves out there and to truly innovate. So trust, I think, is absolutely foundational for leaders. And I think it's found really in that self-awareness zone where what is your level of trust? How do you trust other people? And do you even trust other people? I look with people in the military pretty regularly. And when I talk to them about trust, they, they actually, it's just something that's been ingrained with them. And they even struggle with individuals who don't trust others because they say, wait a minute, I have literally had to put my life in someone else's hands. Mm -hmm. I have literally had to trust people at that level. So I don't find it hard to trust people. Why is it that others have that trouble? And so it's been a bit of a struggle. So I do think trust is vital uh, for all leaders and teammates. And so that's that self-awareness aspect. But within self-awareness, too, it's kind of what are my strengths that I can bring to a team? What are some of my flat And I know we can pretty it up with, with language and say, what are my areas of improvement? But the reality <laughs> is those are some weaknesses, right? I mean, like what are some of my weaknesses? And so knowing what those are and then being willing to be vulnerable to communicate those with your teammates, I think, is vital. And so one of the examples I give is just my husband and I. We've been married now for 27 years, more than 27 years. And it's, you know, marriage is up and down like everyone else's. And what we found is communication absolutely vital. When we communicate well and that aspect isn't lost. Then, and so for instance, we're communicating kind of what our strengths are in this new problem that our family might be facing, right, as leaders of our family. And what are some of our weaknesses? And when we communicate with, with each other on that, then we it's a true partnership. And he covers for mine and I cover for his. And we both grow our weaknesses together and hopefully to a point where we we have more strengths and weaknesses combined. And so are you able to do that? And self-awareness, though, means you have to be vulnerable and willing to admit that you have some weaknesses. And often people are not willing to do that. And you got to put on a show, right? And you have to seem strong or tough and come from a position of strength where I believe real leaders are vulnerable. And I know that it's scary, though, for leaders to hear that. But that's the self-awareness aspect. And then once you're aware, the question then is, and also, by the way, in order to be self-aware, often in Jahari Window there's this method that talks about blind spots. And so going and asking for feedback, you know, how am I doing? And being willing to hear the real, honest, raw, sometimes painful feedback you know, do you have those people where you go to them and they'll give you the truth or are they just going to sugarcoat it and tell you you're always doing a good job? So having the individuals who are willing to share the raw truth with you and then are you saying thank you for that feedback? Are you asking for it and are you really, really genuinely appreciative of the feedback so that they feel comfortable coming to you with it in the future can open up self-aware. If we have a blind spot that opens it up, that's what we need to do. Then, self management the question is, are you willing to work on it? (laughs) Right? So, are you willing to grow or not? So, I know several individuals, for instance, I I have some individuals that I'm very close with, and they're at a certain level in the workforce, uh, GS13 level, for example. And they want to become, or they're thinking about retirement, retirement pay. And if you become a higher level, like a GS14, you get more retirement pay. But at the same time, they ask themselves, you know, am I really right for a leadership position, for a supervisory role? And am I willing to work on it? And if you're not willing to self-manage, which also is known as self-control or self-regulation, if you're not willing to grow and work on some of those weaknesses or areas of growth, then no, you shouldn't take that GS where you shouldn't <laughs> take that next position, right? Right. Because you're just going to, fo- you're just going to frustrate yourself. You're going to frustrate all of your teammates, right? When you accept an important position, the human aspect comes with it. And so, are you willing to grow in that? So, that's kind of the self management. if you admit to yourself, no, I'm not willing to self manage, I'm just going to go ahead and retire here at this GS13. All right, but that was a choice. That's the important part. So, maybe bringing back into some of that grit, right? That's the choice that you make in that moment is, am I willing to grow and self manage? some of my weaknesses and develop them into potential strengths. And I think that drive, that grit, that's a part of self-management as well. You know, am I going to go ahead and take that leap and do work hard in that particular area? Because self-management is tough. And now those first two main domains are the most difficult, I believe, because it really means, Colin, I'm asking you and your listeners look in a mirror, (laughs)
0: right? Right. Are you
1: willing to, to look in the mirror And take the top, you know, look at yourself with warts and all, (laughs) the the acne (laughs) that you've got, you know, where is it? And what are you going to do about it, right? Are you willing to work on it? Are you just going to let it go? So those are the top two first domains. And then you move into social awareness. And the way I describe it is, okay, yes, there's this aspect of how do I fit into a work environment or to a team environment, right? Talking about athletic, how do I fit in with my peers, for example, or with the organization? How do I fit in? But there's also the social awareness is, okay, am I observing? Am I listening? Do I understand the culture of where I am? What are the group norms and how we treat each other? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? And one of the examples I regularly use is there are some work environments where cursing, absolutely acceptable. And then there are others where people try to make the transition into a workplace where that is unacceptable. And they they struggle making that transition and I've had a one particular example where an individual as a deputy director had to talk to her and say look you are a top performer we want to keep you here but we need you to stop that and she didn't and then the director had to speak with her and say look we want you to stay here but you're making everyone <laughs> uncomfortable right? you need, we need you to stop dropping the f-bomb <laughs> you know, like, could, you, could you dial it back for us and that person this goes back to self-management though notice was not socially aware, had to become socially aware by others willing to give feedback. The person rejected the feedback, was not willing to self-manage, and ultimately left to go find a workplace where that was acceptable. But she did, she left. And that's a real life example. And that brings in that emotional intelligence. And then that last piece is the idea of relationship management, which is the toughest one. Mm-hmm. And most of the competencies and skills live in relationship management. But I believe you cannot really fully do relationship management well. And when I say that, I think of it as creating and maintaining healthy working relationships or healthy team relationships, if you talk about athletics. You cannot really do that well unless you go through those stages first. And then relationship management, creating and maintaining those relationships. I think of Dr. Travis Bradbury who wrote the bestseller, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. He and Dr. Gene Graves, I should mention, both wrote that bestseller. And one of his three silver bullets is what he calls it, to boost emotional intelligence comes down to, I believe, in the relationship management realm where you ask yourself, is what I'm about to say or do, what I'm about to say or do, will that increase the quality of my long-term relationship with this person? Or will it hurt it? And if it will damage that relationship, then question whether or not you should say it or do it. And one of the examples is often people like to kind of get things off of their chest, right? So when they're communicating with each other, or maybe someone on the team is upset about what someone else has done, mm-hmm. and they want to get it off their chest. What's well, how they do it? Are they doing it in a civil manner? Are they doing it with tactfully, you know, tactfully, respectfully? Or are they kind of aggressively getting it off of their chest? And so in the short run, it feels good to get that off of your chest. But the reality is it probably hurt the long-term relationship. So that is just about asking yourself, well, wait a minute. Is this going to hurt the long-term relationship? If the answer is yes, then, all right, how can I rephrase it? Because it's important to me still that I say it and communicate it. But then how can I do it well so that it increases doesn't damage at least that long term
0: working relationship.
1: So that's essentially, I think, emotional intelligence in a nutshell.
0: I love it. And I often tell people that I have my seven pillars of dynamic leadership, but I don't think that you can truly be an effective leader without that emotional intelligence piece. And I think that if you have it, everything that you just outlined for us and everything else that we talked about throughout the course of our conversation today just happens so much more organically and more naturally. So I love that you took a deep dive into that. And I honestly, I could be locked in a room for like four or five hours and just (laughs) listen to everything about it. It's so interesting to me. And I know that we can use more leaders who lead in that way. So I appreciate that deep dive so much. And I think our listeners will certainly take away a lot from that. Now, Angela, before we get to my final question here, since we are getting close to time, I just want to see if there's anyone that wants to follow you on social media, follow along with your journey and the work that you do. Where can we find you?
1: All right, so perhaps you could put a few links up for me when you post this, but essentially just I would go to LinkedIn, communicate with me through that. A Federal Training Academy, I have been blessed in that I have, through word of mouth, developed a position where I am absolutely thrilled to be in. But a website may be coming. We'll see. <laughs> we shall see. I think the best way, though, is I do have a Twitter account. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, if you follow me, fantastic. I would love that. At the same time, I am not, I don't focus a lot of my effort on Twitter and social media in particular. Sure. Uh, usually what I do is I will just tweet out some of the key articles that I believe are helpful for individuals. And I, what I've noticed is if I put them out into social media, then people do not have a subscription to some of those uh, services. They can read articles for free. And so I, I, for instance, Harvard business review is one of the common article sites that I will retweet. And one of the reasons is because I do subscribe. I have an expense every year, but I wouldn't want a listener who thinks, Oh, I want to know more about emotional intelligence. Where can <laughs> I find an article on that? Well, I tweet Daniel Goldman's article and the 12 competencies of emotional intelligence, which is the Harvard business review article. And, you can read it for free. You can read up to three free articles a month through Harper business review rather than pay the $8 and 95 cents for an article or up to $30 for some articles that are five page articles. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really what I use Twitter for. I'm not really invested in how many followers I have, but as far as spreading what I believe to be uh, excellent advice from some of the gurus in the field. And I, my, my entire goal really is to, my position is to help other people become excellent leaders. And that's how I think you can make
0: an impact. I will certainly link to all those different things because I want people to be able to find you and follow along with your work. So thank you for that. And before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders, and you have showcased why you are dynamic in your leadership and in the way that you teach leadership to other people as well. But I do love to give my guests an opportunity to shout out somebody in their own life. Who's been influential from a leadership perspective or just influential in general. Do you have somebody that you want to give a quick shout out to?
1: Well, I'd say that uh, several of the military leaders that I've worked with over time is that, that they would demonstrate some of the key aspects of what I would consider a dynamic leader. So rather than pinpoint one in particular, I would lead individuals to take a look at some of the, for instance, the United States Marine Corps has 14 leadership traits. There's even an acronym that goes with it called uh, uh, JJ Tie Buckle. And those <laughs> particular traits, like, there are 14 leadership traits. Uh, I would add a few to the, to that particular list. The ones that I would add would be consistency and, of course, emotional intelligence or empathy. Uh, along with those listening skills I think would be important to be added to it. But the United States Marine Corps, excellent 14 leadership traits. If you just did do a quick Internet search on them, they would pop right up. Also, the United States Army has 11 leadership principles. Absolutely excellent. Again, I would add that emotional intelligence aspect to those. And then for me, because I'm a huge UVA fan, and we talked a little bit about this before the podcast, and I've already quickly mentioned Coach Tony Bennett, but – It's been amazing to see what he has done with the men's basketball coach uh, or team at the University of Virginia. I mean, going from a devastating loss uh, in the ACC championships to uh, winning the ACC championships within the span of just one year, I, I think shows some of the amazing leadership traits that he has. And so for me, I would think that he's one of the dynamic leaders that I really do. I, I just kind of hold him up on that on that pedestal, though his <laughs> humility would not allow me to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Angela, for taking the time to hop on the pod today and to share all of your expertise and your guidance. I've certainly appreciated it. And I know that our listeners will get a lot out of this, but thank you again so much for taking the time.
1: I appreciate it, and everyone who is listening, I hope that you've taken away some of the key insights, and you've enjoyed the time together, and please choose to be a leader. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you do, I hope you'll accept that leadership mindset. Thanks so much for having me, Colin. I appreciate it.